Friday, June 28th at Hungry Brain in Chicago. It's our Pride Show and podcast recording. Music, drag, interview, comedy, panel, and Q&A. Sponsored by Rowan Tree Counseling. Get your tickets at wildandsublime.com or go to links in the show notes. Folks, it's like, oh, I don't understand why you have to have all these labels. It's like, well, because it's comforting. If there's a label that exists, it means that there are other people like me. And maybe I'm not broken. I think just being aware that projections are, are a natural and normal part of the whole process, right? So it's not a matter of, of thinking that if you've done projections that you're doing relationship wrong, you're not doing it wrong. It's about becoming aware of it and realizing where its influence might be at any given moment. And he turns to me and thanks me. And on the bed, throws Gawada money. And I get mad. Welcome to Wild and Sublime, a sexy spin on infotainment, no matter your preferences, orientation, or relationship style. Based on the popular live Chicago show, each week I'll chat about sex and relationships with citizens from the world of sex positivity. You'll hear meaningful conversation, dialogues that go deeper, and information that can help you become more free in your sexual expression. I'm sex educator Karen Yates. This week, we learn more about sex labels and why they're important. Our panel chats about projection, plus a story about how topping Thor led to a journey of self-discovery. Keep listening. Welcome to the last episode of 2020, folks. I'm not uh, going to spend time in a grand commentary because 99% of you listening to this have been impacted in some tremendous way by the events of this year. When I started putting this episode together, I initially wasn't even sure that there was going to be some sort of unifying theme. I thought it was going to be sort of a mishmash. But then, lo, something started to emerge. And I saw that each of the segments today are really about getting to know ourselves better, really understanding what makes you tick, especially in regards to sexuality and how we relate to our intimates. And I suppose in a grand way, that applies to this year. Many of us have been forced in one way or another to see what is important to us, how to connect to each other or not, and is it possible to get our needs met during this time? Basically, who are we really? We'll begin today with What's Up With That, our recurring segment about words from the sexual lexicon that might be confusing. Our conversation with sex educator Sarah Sloan ended up being way more expansive than the words we were discussing, uh, in this case, demisexual and asexual. Sarah is the Director of Communications and Operations at Hashtag Open, the dating app for ethically non-monogamous people and their partners. Wild and Sublime is partnering with Hashtag Open on these current what's up with that segments. You can learn more about Hashtag Open and their cool dating app in the show notes. And now, Sarah Sloan. Okay, today, demisexual, asexual, aromantic. Sarah, what's up with that? I am really glad you asked me that because I did not know about the term demisexuality until about four or five years ago. And it was like hearing it and hearing somebody tell me what it was, was like a watershed moment. It was kind of like when I, when I read the term bisexual, when I was a teenager and I realized like, Oh, it's okay for like, there are people who are interested in both guys and girls. Oh, wait, you know, and like 13 year old Sarah felt really affirmed by that 40, 45 year old Sarah felt really affirmed when, when I heard the term demisexual, because it, made sense for me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was questioning like, why does my sex attraction, why did, why does the, why do the ways that I get turned on by people seem so different from a lot of some, a lot of my friends, particularly in the sex positive community. And so what I learned was that demisexual means that in order to feel a sexual attraction, there has to be kind of an emotional connection there first. Mm -hmm. So I need to know somebody and, and kind of feel comfortable with them, get to know them. Often they're people that I develop really strong friendships with before any kind of conversation about sex ever happens. And so for demisexual folks, there has to be something else there. And then the sexual attraction can turn on. And I was looking this up and it's like, you, you don't even find say beautiful celebrities attractive. You know, there's like, there, it's, it's really comes down to, you know, that it's about an immediate connection with someone that develops into right. a, into, into an emotional bond. And that's, then the sexuality comes from that. Right. Or the sexual. Yeah. Image. And it's, I mean, sometimes it's even over time. I would say that, you know, for a lot of demisexual folks, it may be that they start dating somebody that they're intellectually attracted to, or that they might feel some emotional attraction to. And then that gives space for, for sexual feelings and for lust and for passion to kind of develop from that. I would say that I do find people attractive. I just don't find them sexually attractive. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, I can look at, you know, images of, Daniel Craig or Idris Elba. I'm thinking of James Bond today, apparently. And, and I can go like, wow, they're really attractive, but I, there's not, there's not a corresponding damn I'd hit that kind of a piece to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's, it's a very aesthetic kind of experience. And then if we move up to a different place on, on the, the, the ACE spectrum, then we, we would put demisexual on the asexual spectrum. And when you say ace, it simply means mm-hmm. a shortened form of asexual. Yeah, it's okay. asexual. And then, so so if we have a spectrum that's called the asexual spectrum, demisexuality is on that. Asexuality is not feeling sexual attraction, period. Not feeling a desire for sex. So, and it doesn't mean that those are folks who are celibate. It just means that they're folks who don't intrinsically feel a desire for sex. Many people who are asexual do choose to engage in sexual relationships, often because there's a lot of reasons to have sex beyond just getting off. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it can be about an emotional bond. It can be about pleasing our partner. It may be, you know, in order to start a family, there can be dozens and dozens of reasons why people choose to have sex that, that aren't actually related to lust or to like arousing passion, you know, like all of the bodice ripper stuff. And I think that's the part that can feel really confusing for people is that the way that we've kind of structured how you should feel in order to be like a sexually functioning person is that you should, you should be able to feel the lust running through your veins or, you know, all of that bullshit. And, you know, and there are a lot of people that that's not what, what the experience of sex is. I know it's, it's very interesting. What I really like about the terms that we're examining today is that it's, there's an allowance for reality, I guess. Because we're, we have all grown up with these tropes, these romantic tropes, mm-hmm. these sexual tropes. They've just, they're just so scripted, just as you alluded to, that you know, we have to have fire in our veins and pull off our clothes and mm-hmm. it always has to be going 24-7. And, and while I don't 
identify as demisexual. There, there's an, there was like a re- relaxation I felt when I started understanding the concept. It's like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, it's okay. It's okay yeah. to develop a relationship over time and, and maybe it will lead to sex eventually. It doesn't have to be like, and I looked at him and knew, you know, like yeah. it, it, it's a, it's a real allowance. And I, I, I hear that in the definition of asexuality. It doesn't mean people mm-hmm. are like, I am a monk and I am not going to have sex and I do not mm-hmm. want to have sex. There's, there's a, a scale there. Yeah. And you know, the, the frustration that lots of folks have, they're not conversant with a lot of the terms that we use when we identify ourselves outside of any kind of old school binary, you know, folks, folks are like, Oh, I don't understand why you have to have all these labels. It's like, well, because it's comforting. You know, it, if there's a label that exists, it means that there are other people like me mm-hmm. and maybe I'm not broken. Maybe the way that I respond is normal, is okay. And so, you know, the reason for all of the labels is because they're shorthand for us to communicate to other people. And that communication goes both ways. It's we're telling people who we are, but we're also feeling a part of a group of people who also feel the same way. And when you're marginalized, simply knowing that you're part of a group of people who also feels that same way can be such a relief. So on, say, a, a dating app or site, you know, if you see asexual, it, it, it's not automatically like, oh, this, why is this person on here? Or I don't get mm-hmm. this. It's, it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's something completely different and something that can be dialogued about. And we have this idea in our culture that we're supposed to find the one. You know, right. the one in all capital letters. And that person should be meeting your sexual, your romantic, and your partnership needs. All of them. The best that anybody can do, because that's the one. And that's a whole lot of baggage to put on one relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that when we start thinking about what is it that makes a relationship, for me, part of what makes a relationship is is physical affection. For me, part of what makes a relationship is deep friendship. Do I have that with people that are not my sexual partners? Absolutely. Is that less of a relationship? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. So when we start kind of separating out action from relationship, we we can start kind of figuring out like, what is it that we actually need? What is it that actually serves us and, and what works for us? And how do we communicate that with other people? And do we want to look, have a world in which we prize one relationship over every other relationship in the world? You know, and so starting to think outside of like, what is it that makes a relationship that's not what they taught me in the bodice rippers or in mainstream culture or in rom coms? The closer we are to finding the kinds of relationships that really work for us. Yeah, I'm sort of framing this of like, you know, dating apps or when you're like looking for folks and the way people label themselves. But I'm also thinking like, you might be in a relationship, you might be in a monogamous relationship for say 30 years and you suddenly realize, you hear this conversation, you're like, holy shit, I'm asexual. And the level Mm -hmm. of acceptance that you can then bestow upon yourself, the allowance you can Mm -hmm. give yourself, then opens up so many doorways. Instead of living in shame of like, I don't fit this standard. Not mm-hmm. even knowing there was a standard that you were trying to fit yourself into, but mm-hmm. then suddenly realizing I'm okay. There's other people like yeah. me and they might be in monogamous relationships as well. Yeah. But now, now I can communicate maybe more adequately with my partner. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of the, 
I think one of the great sadnesses that is that if none of us talk about what we're, what our internal reality is, we often always, we often end up feeling like we're the only person that feels that way. And I was kind of thinking last night as I was doing a little bit of reading to prep for a conversation today, that the thing that has made it easier for so many people has been the fact that there are podcasts, there are dating apps, there are tumblers that, that we can follow and we, we get exposed to a new term and it allows us to think of ourselves as more of a whole individual. Mm-hmm. You know, we, when we see ourselves reflected, by somebody else or somebody says like, Hey, it's safe to step outside of, you know, what, what you felt like you were supposed to do, you know, like all of those things function in a way that help us to realize that we're not alone. in this. Yeah. So let's move on to aromantic. And what does that mm-hmm. mean? Aromantic is kind of the romantic version of asexual. It's uh, somebody that doesn't feel a romantic drive. So they may want close friendships. They may want sex. But in terms of that that kind of NRE, uh, new relationship energy kind of flush, that, that crushy kind of feeling, they don't necessarily feel that. And again, these are, these are, it doesn't mean that these are folks that swear off all relationships. It's just that that kind of romantic passion is not a thing that they experience. Like if you're in a relation, if you were just getting into a new relationship and you're like, wow, mm-hmm. this person this person isn't experiencing NRE and I'm head over heels and mm-hmm. are they are they emotionally unavailable? Is it more about like gauging how the person is showing up for the relationship and not really yeah. getting insecure about their type of reaction? I like to ask people, what is it that brings you to this relationship and makes you want to continue dating me? What are you getting from this? Mm. How does it make you feel? You know, the reality is that we all are going to be nourished by different things in relationships. You know, there are people that I've dated that, you know, hands down, not interested in a romantic relationship, but man, you know, like I had the right chemistry with them intellectually and, and it was like, you know, balls to the wall sex, great stuff no relationship energy, you know, and, and so asking that person like, Hey, what is it that you, you know, what is it, what needs are you getting met by this? What are you enjoying about this? And listening to their answer. And often it's simply understanding like, Oh, this person, they, they maybe aren't going to, you know, show up with flowers because they're having a grand gesture moment, but they, they're actually committed to being in this with me. Mm. You know, they're going to come over and sit with me when I'm having a really rough day and they're going to hug me and, you know, maybe we have really good sex or maybe we go out and we, we do hobbies together. There are other things that are really important components of relationship that just might not be one of them, Mm -hmm. you know, and love doesn't, you know, it's like, there's not only one way to love somebody, right? We can love people very much and be a romantic. People don't generally come to the understanding of themselves as an aromantic person without having had some of that thought of like, what is this about? Is this a healthy place for me to be? So, so at that point, I would say like, believe that person. It can be really hard to have these conversations because they really do challenge us to deeply think outside of what we have been told is good in a relationship. And it can make us really question our own value. You know, being in a relationship with somebody, if we have, say, somebody who is allosexual, which is somebody who likes to have sex with everything, essentially, Mm -hmm. you know, versus maybe their partner is asexual, that can bring up a lot of question of, of whether you're good enough on both sides of that. 
Right. So having the conversation about what is it actually that makes this relationship work with us and how can we honor the identities and the experiences of everybody that's involved in the relationship using terms for our sexuality, using terms for our romantic desires can actually help us to to kind of come to the core of like, this is the important piece about this relationship and yeah. this is how we're going to invest. Right. Yeah. And also being secure enough in yourself that you can fearlessly ask these questions. Yeah. Well, and I don't know that anybody ever asks them fearlessly, but bravely. Right. I like yeah. that. Right. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm usually terrified when I have these questions. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, you know, it's, it's hard because it's hard to know, you know, how am I doing the, this conversation in a way that doesn't shame my partner? Am I doing this conversation in a way that isn't feeling scary for me beyond just, am I afraid of losing something? You know, these questions are not easy questions, especially if you've already invested in some way with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're so important because I feel like they're, it's, it's like playing a video game and, you know, you have to like beat the boss before you can go to the next level. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes, you know, relationships after a conversation that's really hard like this, where everybody who's involved in that relationships gets to say, here's what I'm about. Like at that point, you you kind of unlock the bonuses. Yeah, for you sure. Know? And, and so it's, it's, it's not like your relationship can't grow, but it's like, you don't get the bonus scenes. You don't get, you know, you don't well, get and, the and here's, the, here's the thing. Even if it ends up ending the relationship, you get the bonus because yeah. you showed up, you showed up and that's the bonus. And know. I think that it actually, in a lot of cases, it doesn't necessarily mean the relationship ends. It means that it shifts. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple of relationships where it became really clear, like, oh, this part of the relationship isn't really working so well, but this other stuff is. Can we have a relationship like this? Can we have a relationship after kind of coming to terms with the fact that one of us, our orientation has shifted? Mm-hmm. And so you start looking at like, oh, well, what would be a right sizing for this relationship? Exactly. You know? and, and being able to approach that conversation, I think there's this thing that we do as as we mature, which is we stop looking at relationships as like everything has to end in a burning dumpster fire. <laughs> I think this will be a conversation for a f- future segment, but really mm-hmm. to talk about like ideas of polyamory and that relationships can get very nuanced and non-categorized yeah. if you're willing yeah. to be in the soup of polyamory and, and yeah. ethical non-monogamy. I think having the internal conversations about how do we identify what is our orientation? What is it when, when it's just us without the expectations, what does sex need to look like for us? What does romance need to look like for us? That really gives us the groundwork for what in a relationship is going to work for us because without understanding ourselves, we, we can't as easily go into any kind of conversation with a potential partner or a current partner and advocate for our our needs to get met. So when we start rethinking our own orientation, when we start rethinking our own gender, it, it just gives us so much more information to bring to the table and make sure that those conversations, when we're talking about our relationships are really rich and they're Mm. really authentic. Yeah. You know, the word that was coming up was majesty, our own majesty. Mm, I like that. Our nuance, our complexity, our our richness, our depth. It's, it's a beautiful journey. Mm. It really is. And it's, it's, it is quite often scary 
and sometimes frustrating, but every, every time you have that moment of like, oh, I actually, like, I know who I am and I was able to advocate for myself here and, and the pleasure I got from that moment, you know, it's, those are the moments that really make it worthwhile. Mm, I so agree. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. If you've been listening to the past few episodes, you know that we've recently redone our crowdfunding platform on Patreon, dubbing it The Afterglow. One of the features on our live show was Q&A with our panel of sex experts. Now, as part of the benefits for subscribing to The Afterglow, for as low as $5 a month, you get to ask anonymous questions to our rotating Afterglow panel and then receive the audio as juicy bonus content. Here is an audio peek into the November session, where our panel discusses a question about projecting onto new partners. You'll be hearing from sex and intimacy coach Tazima Paris, sex-positive therapist Jason Best of Best Therapies, and sex-positive therapist and intimacy coach Brandon Hunter-Hayden. Enjoy. So Tazima, a person who has signed themselves sin, says, what actions can you take to be mindful of your projections onto a person in a new relationship. The the magic word that I'm going to jump in with is should. If you're thinking or saying should, like this, something should be a certain way, or you're disappointed by how that person, especially in a new relationship, and to expand this a little bit, 100% of people project onto other people. Like even the most conscious, like I've done a whole bunch of work. I've done a bunch of therapy or growth work. I've, I've figured out my pain points and my traumas and I'm working on it. I can identify them. Even, even that person has projections. And it's, so it's a natural way of us sort of trying to figure out the world. The best way to counteract our projections is to stay curious. And this is one of the reasons why early, our curiosity and like novelty is why new relationships are really interesting to us. This is a new person, new energy, new stuff. You don't know everything about them. And so that curiosity that we have naturally is the thing that keeps it fresh. And I would also put, you know, for people who are in longer term relationships or they've been with the person for a while or they're back or whatever, you're also going to have projections, but curiosity is also going to help those projections. What's happening right now? I know this feels like something that happened to me in the past, like recognize that for yourself and be curious about you know, take a pause, time out, slow down and say, and you may have to verbally ask for this. Hey, I noticed that I'm having a reaction to something you're doing or saying. And I want to take a moment to pause and check in with myself. This is not how normal people talk. (laughs) This is not a normal way of having a conversation but it does help to slow things down. So you can literally say, hey, I noticed that I'm having a a reaction to something you did or said, and I just want a moment to pause. You can either stop the conversation completely or create a different part of the conversation by saying, hey, I need to identify, think I'm projecting this. 
And in order to have that part of the conversation, you've got to know yourself. You've got to know, hey, this really feels like when I was, you know, in my old marriage, or this feels like when I was 17, or this feels like when I was seven. And you're this other person. Okay. So now this is really interesting because I look at this now. I love that because yeah. I love it. But like when I read that question, I thought it was like, we're in a new relationship. We project the other person is fabulous. We put them on a pedestal. They're a God or a goddess. How do you pull that? How do you make them a real human again? So what do you say about that? So that's what that's called a golden projection. So that that too, that's because you don't have any details about them. <laughs> and you have this really fat, oh my God. And it's the curiosity that is playing on sort of like a fantasy reel, sort of. It's it's like a combination of kind of fantasy slash actual curiosity and data that's coming in. So that's that golden projection is it can also be damaging too because then that person doesn't get to be a person. And if it's if you think it's too good to be true, you're probably projecting. <laughs> okay, so Brandon and Jason, what do you have to say? I'm so deeply curious about what Brandon was going to say. I'll I'll step back for a second and let him tackle it first. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, you always got to be wary of the autofill. You just always got to be aware of the autofill because it's mm. going to want to help you out. There's a part of your 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 styling of of attachment and mm. your all the parts of you that want to secure connection and secure intimacy and the parts that are going to want to take care of you. Those autofills are just going to kick right in, and mm. sometimes they contain you know your last residence, you know, or two residences ago, and you need to go through and manually check what's in the boxes there. So just to echo part of what I heard Tazima getting to is that I think just being aware that projections are, are a natural and normal part of the whole process, right? So it's not a matter of, of thinking that if you've done projections that you're doing relationship wrong, you're not doing it wrong. It's about becoming aware of it and realizing where its influence might be at any given moment. And including that as part of the relationship, like you have a relationship with your projections, right? Just like you do with the person. And if you can include that in your own awareness, and I would say even more so, in your dialogue with your partner where both people are being are starting to talk about their projections and notice aloud with each other that's relationship building that's mm -hmm. intimacy mm -hmm. so even like say getting back to tazima's idea of the golden projection even saying wow i'm, I'm noticing i'm thinking you're i mean like not, not i'm thinking you're amazing but like i hmm, i'm noticing like you can really do no wrong or whatever like even naming the golden projection even naming that? And so far as that's possible, but also it's, it's pretty normal for that to not even occur. Right. You know, until, until you hit the first record scratch, you know, <laughs> whenever that is. Six months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Six months, seven years, whenever it is. You know, third, third date. I mean, it all depends. Yeah. But I'm Jason. curious now what Jason has. To yeah. Say. What is Jason? Well, first say? of all, can we give it up to me? That was such a great answer. Obviously good choice throwing it out there right away um <laughs> just to build that i'm just gonna i'm just going to <laughs> chalk this up to the fact you're a new dad and you need a lot of attention i need so <laughs> much attention i've been holding a baby for so long it is she is wonderful also but the baby's I, getting all the attention now jason gets needs so much attention. attention i need a little bit of love i think maybe that's <laughs> i'm getting so much love i'm fine actually no i think obviously brandon and tazima had fantastic responses to this 
I do think that there is this constant tension with humans really about are we seeing the world as it is, the people we're around as they are, the relationships we have as, as they really are in the moment, or are we you know, playing with projections with these maybe distorted visions of, of who people are? And I would absolutely agree with Brandon. It's not that th- whether or not this might happen, like it is going to happen. It happens all the time. You know, part of maturity is realizing that and then realizing what are the, the lenses that I tend to distort things through? Can I be more aware of that? Can I try to counteract that? If I know that I'm, I'm a suspicious connector and so once I start to get close to someone, I just instinctively get very suspicious of everything, even if it's not really called for. I've got to work on being more trusting. I've got to kind of lean into that. If I'm uh, a person who's maybe a little bit too trusting, too gullible upfront, okay, maybe I have to force myself to add some suspicion and lean towards that a little bit. You know, you're you're probably not going to go too far. And if you do overcorrect, then you can always notice that, go like, yeah, you know, I, I really have gone from too trusting to being way too suspicious. Let me balance that out some. But I think that the the awareness of the process, the awareness of who you are and continuing to refine that and refine that with your partner is really one of the most fantastic things about being a relationship. I know we we're just talking about me being a new dad and maybe it's the sleep deprivation talking, but I have discovered like so many new elements to myself, to my partner as we have gone through this process of, you know, of having our daughter and, and it's really interesting. And, and we also are both carrying, of course, a ton of baggage from previous families that we're working through of, you know, what those were the families of origin. What are, is our family going to be like? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's honestly a really valuable skill to develop is just that, you know, trying to continue to go to what's real and then noticing, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be distorting things. It's fine. What can I do to correct it when I when I can? Cool. I, so I want. Yeah. I wanted to jump and and also share. There's a space, a, a transition space between relationships or before beginning a new relationship that people often like. They'll make a list of what they want next. Oh, X, Y, and Z was really messed up, and this is what I want now. That can also create some projections as well, whether golden or. <laughs> tin, rust, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) projections, because sometimes even our language is terrible as we make this new list. Mm. Um, This is a space I work with clients a lot who are dating or seeing someone new. And as they're even talking about, well, I want this person to, I want this experience. And this experience might be, they might use word like stable or uh, nice not mean, whatever. <laughs> this often is is baggage from the old relationship. And so you're there as you talk about it or as people write this stuff down, they end up kind of t- tracking the past into the new experience. And so I often encourage people to take us take stock of what do you what kind of experience would you be having if you didn't use the 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 these words that you've put in here? Like if the person is not I don't want this. What would you be experiencing instead? And then look to see if you are actually seeing that or if it's a projection. This is high level. Some of this stuff is kind of high level Mm self-awareness, observing ego kind of stuff. And I want people to know this is not simple. It's not easy, but it is worth it if you work it. 
For more info on our panelists, go to our show notes. And if you like what you heard just now, there's about 25 minutes more of uh, questions and answers, consider joining monthly. You can also read about more benefits by clicking on the link in our show notes. Much of our income here at Wild and Sublime comes from listeners just like you and really helps us cover expenses. And if you'd like to give a one-time contribution for our work, I understand the $5 monthly may not be possible for everyone. You can also find our PayPal link in the episode notes. We here at Wild and Sublime appreciate whatever you're able to contribute. Thank you. I'm really excited about this next story. It was recorded at our last live show, March 13th, 2020, Constellation in Chicago. I had been trying to get Lily B onto the show for a really long time. Uh, she is a very popular person. And finally, she could make it on and then proceeded to deliver an absolutely fantastic piece. Please enjoy this performance by master storyteller Lily B. A great way to finish out Wild and Sublime 2020. I'm lying in the bed next to this Thor-looking man in a seedy motel smoking a cigarette. And he turns to me and kind of teary-eyed and thanks me and gets up to get dressed and turns and says, here. And on the bed throws what looks like a wad of money. I don't count it, but it's some hundreds, y'all. And I get mad. Look, I told you, I don't want your money. I don't do this for money. I'm so by this. And he's trying to talk to me, but I'm, 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 a, I'm the dumb. No, no, shut up. I told you, I don't want your money. Why are you giving me money? And I remember when I first met him, I had just gotten out of a relationship that, for the most part, just fucked my head up. I had fallen in love for the first and last time with a straight white dude. (laughs) And... And when I say he fucked my head up, it's that he did. Like, he, he, he cheated on me, he did everything that uh, I did not expect him to do. We had gotten engaged, it was this ridiculous thing. And, and, uh, and then it had to end, and it ended ugly. But the one thing I thank him for is that our relationship did show me that Oh, I'm not submissive. Me and this straight white man, Patrick, I'll just say his name, he ain't here. (laughs) Patrick, he had me doing things that what I had assumed, I, I assumed I was submissive my whole life. 
But he had me choking him in bed and like spitting in his mouth, playing out sexual fantasies of apocalypse in my closet where I tied him up and told him to shut the fuck up and eat this pussy, right? Like all kinds of nasty shit. And I was like, oh, I like this. I like being in control like this. So when we broke up and it was heartbreaking and I got over the bullshit, I was like, I want to do that again. And so I found myself on FetLife because that's where we go. Doing my profile in my leather, in my fishnets, right? In my boots. Saying I'm a dom. I own that. It was good to own that and know that that's who I was. I'm in charge. I put my kick on there. My kick, like, blew up with men all over Chicago. Like, what it do? What it do, Lily? What it do? What it do? What it do? Basically, like, what, 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 how can we meet? What's it? Yeah, let's do this. And I was like, let's, let's see. And so I meet Ross. We'll call him Ross. And he is, I mean, I opened the picture. It's, it's Thor, y'all. It's Thor. <laughs> He's like 6'6". Six, six. He's just bang, bang, bang everywhere. And he's in the finance world slash a personal trainer. And he's like, I liked your profile. And we do the dance, right? What are you into? What are you into? All that stuff. Have you done? And then he finally is like, uh, I'm into... Uh, I want you to, like, fuck my throat, which is something I had never done, ever. But I pretended that I did. I'm like, yeah, I got that. I could do that. Because <laughs> he described it, and I'm like, oh, I want to do that, and I don't need you to, like, write, like, left swipe. No, I want to go. I want to be the one to do this to you, Thor. So... He picked me and we decided to meet at this hotel that we are, you know, that we made it our, we made it our spot. And I remember showing up early and waiting and waiting and my butterflies in my stomach and I opened the door and there he is. And there I am, not like this. Like I got, I had, I had a corset on. I had a my fishnets, my boots, hair down and out. And he hands me a little bag because I told him I don't have the equipment. That you have the equipment. I know you have the equipment because <laughs> I didn't have it. And he has me this little bag. I go into the bathroom with the little bag and my phone because I don't know how to put on these harnesses, y'all. <laughs> it's my first time. 
So I Google that shit. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'm sitting there, I'm standing there in the mirror, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> For like a hot second. Man, I got it. I get what y'all get, what y'all get, what y'all think. And so I'm like, hmm, in the mirror. And then I open the door to the bathroom and walk out. And Thor is on his knees. Like, what can I do for you, goddess? And that sounded so good, y'all. So good. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> and he loved it. And I was like, come here. And he like, on his knees, this six foot five, four Thor of a man crawls over and is right here, just in front of my dick. <laughs> with his mouth open, like, what can I do for you, goddess? And I was like, you could take this dick is what you can do. And he did. All eight inches of it. Like a boss. And I was impressed. I was like, you go. <laughs> you go. <laughs> And that was it. I fucked the shit out of his throat. Like, I took every experience I had ever taken, every man that had ever tried to, like, grab my head, and, like, I took it all, all of that, channeled all those blowjobs into this experience. Like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, get it, get it. He took it all, took all of it. And then at the end, when he was like, I'm done, like a gentleman took a napkin, wiped his face, thanked me, and went on his merry way. And I was hooked. I realized this is, this is what I want to do. I want to do this. And not just throw fuck, like I, I got into all of it, pegging, period. I was pegging four or five, I had a roster. I had a lineup of cubs, yo, cause I'm also a cougar. They had to be like 30, I'm 42, y'all. They had to be like 27 to 32. Um, racking them, just day after day. It built, my confidence up. It made me forget about Patrick. It made me walk into rooms like, yeah, I could fuck about seven of y'all. <laughs> seven of y'all in this room would take this dick. I know it. I walked around just knowing. Changed my life. So here I am in this room with Ross and 
I'm mad that he's trying to give me some money. I'm like, this is this ain't for you. This ain't about money. This this is about me and me and like I get what I get. You get. We talked about this, Ross. You know this. And with, like I said, tears in his eyes, he said, Lily, do you know how envious I am that you get to walk out of here and own this? You can go out here and tell all your friends you just fucked me in the throat. And I can't. I can't. I got to go back and I got to pretend this didn't happen. You're like the only thing that keeps me from going into work and shooting up my job. That's what he said. I swear to God. So I'm kind of doing the Lord's work, y'all, a little bit. (laughs) Um, And I was like, damn, Ross, I didn't. I felt like I felt for him. At that moment, I was like, damn. And so, like, I took the money. (laughs) Like $600, y'all. Like, damn, Ross, for real? Okay. But also, I kept seeing Ross. I did this for four years, y'all. Never really wanted anything reciprocated like I didn't ask them to fuck me I never cared about me getting off it wasn't about that for me in fact I just turned 41 I when I turned 40 I realized like I'm asexual that's a story for another day but this four years of my life changed the way I navigated in the world how I carried myself what I believed about who I am and why I am who I am the confidence, the glow, the strength, the empowerment that I got from these four years with these men, all straight white men. I, it's like, it was like my payback, also like retribution. I'm like, I'm gonna fuck y'all now. Okay. Uh, but, <laughs> but it changed my life. And I always think about Ross and and how so many of us don't get to be who we want to be in the world, and how I was that for him. And so in a way, like, I know he's better now. We still keep in touch via kick. I don't fuck him anymore, but we're still friends. But I I say this to say that kink helped me find who I am. This world of like, no hay mal que por bien no venga. There is no bad from which good cannot come. And so my shitty relationship with Patrick led to this discovery of King, led to Ross, led to me finding out that I'm a badass bitch, y'all. And, and I want to give y'all and let y'all in on a secret. All you are some badass motherfuckers. All of y'all, every single one. And all y'all got to do is find the way, right? And step into it. And y'all will be okay. Thanks. Wild and Sublime is also sponsored in part by our Sublime supporter, Chicago-based Full Color Life Therapy. Therapy for all of you at fullcolorlifetherapy.com. 
If you would like to be a Sublime supporter, showcasing you and your business and supporting us at the same time, contact us at info at wildandsublime.com. Thank you for listening. If you know someone who might be interested in this episode, send it to them. And please, if you like what you heard, give us a nice review on your podcast app. I'd like to thank Wild and Sublime associate producer Julia Williams and design guru Jean-Francois Gervais. Theme music by David Ben Porat. Our media sponsor is Rebellious Magazine, feminist media at rebelliousmagazine.com. Follow us on social media at Wild and Sublime and sign up for newsletters at wildandsublime.com.